You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Thank you so much everyone for joining us for Voices of Woodlawn, a conversation with Poets of Witness. Um, I'm August, a bookseller over at the Ivy Bookshop. Um, we've been pairing up with Pratt um, for a lot of these events and I just wanted to say as always how grateful we are for this partnership. Um, it's all it, The things that the Pratt does for Baltimore are incredible and it's so lovely to be able to participate um, in their events in any way. Um, things are I just want to give a quick Ivy plug. Um, we have a fantastic display on disability and differently abled voices right now. Um, so if you have a chance to swing by, um, that's what you might see. Um, the authors for the authors and the poets and then the performers and musicians that are here today um, have done some amazing work. Um, you know, over the past year and over really every year, um, art and poetry have been so vital to the human experience. Um, we're so grateful to have these performers and poets here with us tonight. Um, and I think um, the I think the Pratt Library might have a little more info about where else to find their work. Um, I'll let them discuss that. Um, thanks again to everyone for attending, and I will hand it back to Tracy. And hi, um, thank you so much, August, and thank you to the Ivy Bookshop. Um, I'm Shailene, I'm a librarian at the Pratt, and I want to welcome everyone on behalf of the library and thank you for being here. What we're going to experience together tonight is something very special. After poet Jennifer Polhemus attended this program, she wrote, 91 voices cried out from Woodlawn last night, impossible to be silenced. Through the desperately alive words of four poets and the bluesy whine of one man's harmonica, I see, I hear, I feel them as we groan and celebrate together. This is the special power of this event that when we experience it, we recover a crucial piece of our past that is too often forgotten. In thinking about this special gift, I was reminded of a poem that Lucille Clifton wrote after she went on a tour of Walnut Grove Plantation in South Carolina. The tour guide did not mention slavery, but the poem that Lucille Clifton wrote undoes that silence. Speaking to the slaves, she writes, tell me your names, tell me your bashful names and I will testify. In an interview about that poem, Lucille Clifton said, we cannot ignore history. History doesn't go away. The past isn't back there. The past is here too. We are so grateful to the Voices of Woodlawn for helping us feel the presence of the past. Please help me to welcome the Voices of Woodlawn.
I'm gonna take a song from every bird and make them sing it just for me. They have something to teach us all about being free. Be no rain, be no rain. I think I'll call it morning from now on. Gil Scott Heron. Welcome to Voices of Woodlawn, featuring poets Diane Wilburn Parks, Patrick Washington, Dr. Hiram LaRue, and yours truly, Sylvia Diane Beverly, Lady Di. Also, poet Cliff Bernier on harmonica. We are sharing poems written during and since our visit to Woodlawn Plantation Mansion in Alexandria, Virginia. Through our original poetry, we hope to inform, enlighten, and educate and lift uplift spirits through poetic messages from voices of our enslaved ancestors. So I hope you have something refreshing to drink, sit back and relax. This first piece was written as I wandered the grounds of Woodlawn, thinking about the 90 slaves who served nine whites who lived in the mansion on property once owned by George Washington. This piece is titled Vista Blur. Clouds of branches unsettled were as smoke became windows or lingering hands with thin voices in sad vines when I walked up. Yes, as I began to almost hear their echoes of what was but is still blurred what happened here? These voices from long ago that precious the lawn sweeps now across vistas of yearnings, they river my overs. The voices hide in the corners, their cries for freedoms so wanted with these views of sunrises and mist that hope surely prayed for and gathered about. These views are gone now. They are just barely and blurred blue. I can almost hear small whispers of accents, sweet as the oaks. Voices that were here when abiding was tobacco and corn, and purely was riches. Yes, all of my hoops are flung widely across these skins of years. What happened here? Around me, and by me, and through me, these pitchforks of hillsides and shame, cuffs that sob in their rust or ropes frayed or gilded mirrors of my memories me. The full fields of sorrow from those times that are buried 
so deep down inside me and have sprouted again. These scars or gasps or flames in souls, their silent prayers, they all come through and are asking me, what happened here? From my long ago that was then, but is still now again and again, whispered in this evil, holy aftertell. Thank you, Hiram. This poem that I will be reading, the first one is entitled First Impressions Last. And I actually wrote this poem, came back and manicured it somewhat afterwards, but I wrote it while at Woodlawn. August 2nd was more than a day of whispers. It was an invitation to step back into time, into the timid feet of riverbanks, into the haze of unraveling 90 slaves and their contributions. My heart began to write 91 imagined lives into this frame, this mind, your souls laying to rest in these walls and me. Your spirit met me and my tears as I drove in. I'm already changed. I surveyed the Woodlawn Plantation and saw you, all of you, in bricks, in mantles, in rooms, throughout the grounds. I looked up at the balcony, imagining where your heels and toes might have touched a patch of grass. As I leaned over into thought, I felt your feet touching mine, carrying me to a mansion beautifully distorted. This mansion once lived with you and your silence and your lost names right here in this place where I am standing, where you rivered your tears, each of you known to Woodlawn by only one name, slave. You've been erased. The tours vaguely remembers you, but I, see you here, right here in the careful placement of bricks, of spiral staircases, of marble, of doors, of windows, the scent of silence. Oh, the scent of silence. And the scent of you is so strong. The odor of mistakes float in every room. How? Will we fix this? Even the emptiest spaces imprison your dreams, your expressions, your thoughts, your birthdays. As my eyes drift along the carved mantle, I imagine your eyelids opening like heavy concrete doors. I imagine if your mantle, I wonder if your mantle your skin was ever a mess of markings. Wonder if you were bruised to your bones where your pain finished the carvings of your marrow. You were right here where I'm standing as sure as innocence, as pure as white enters rooms to leave no trace of life, the etchings of your past cradled in scuff marks on wooden floors. The arresting wake of your voices still leaves impressions on walls, on me, on us. How will we begin to fix this lasting impression? It was August 2019, 
when we first went to the plantation. And our ancestors, the enslaved, are still giving me messages. I wrote this poem 2021, almost two years later. Racism is sin. Lean on God for answers. We stand in despair. We stand in desperation. Severe trauma and great challenges can be satisfied. Be faithful, fervent in our actions, singing and praying together, praying daily with, with all our might. Unity prevails with actions. Take care of sick. Love our neighbors, love our elders, feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, clothe the naked. We need social action, strengthen our faith. Hallelujah, peace, faith, hope, and charity. Love, love, love. Speak up, especially in uncomfortable situations. Lead us not into temptation. Become fullness of God's commandments. Build upon a spiritual foundation. Dismiss racism. Bring forth justice and equality. Please. No, racism is a sin. Thank you. Thank you, Lady Di. Uh, this poem was uh, written shortly after my visit. It's entitled First Walk. I am not being led through these genteel halls. I'm being pushed. Each threshold crossed feels like praise is being forced through fearful throats. The words of our guide ease out with reverence as if the echo from these walls could actually slap you. And as they delivered their careful sermon, I can't help but wonder, was God ever inside here? The wood smells of elegant care and surfaces, so polished that any particles daring to show up would undoubtedly slide off to the floor. After all, we are not here to see dirt, are we? Like a troublesome teen, I stand in places longer than I should, reach for delicate things I know I shouldn't, and nothing happens to me. This tour, though informative, ignored certain queries like, are the brick and mortar walls thick enough to muffle the moans of the people outside? Did they ever use the same cross-stitched sewing style from these beautiful pillows to close the skin of the disobedient? I walk out the ravenous front entrance and after 200 years, the Corinthian marble at the door still looks as if each slab had been carefully laid there by angelic hands and they had. One more question, ma'am. Did the masters of Woodlawn ever realize just how close they were to God?
Muted. Sorry about that. As we start the second round of poems and the last round of poems, want to remind everyone that you're welcome to um, ask questions or express any feelings in the time that we'll have at the end of the program in the Q&A session. So uh, you, can, you can certainly type those into the chat room at any point, but uh, please join us for the Q&A at the end and ask any questions. This, this poem was written after the visit to Woodlawn. I wrote it with Woodlawn in mind, of course, and with all of the headlines that we daily had been facing and to some extent still are facing. It's uh, titled Succotash. My country, so poly, so jack of all trades and confetti, the yard sale of nations with ditches for dreams and cornfields split open it's tar in my whistles. My country, the talons and scars after oozing. The sparklers, my country, that wake up but ransack what happened. And broad beans that dazzle the mud. My country, all arrows shot heaven with swearing. My country in sparrows gone haywire and hobo. The screen doors to wisdom slammed and gone off to with maps left behind. My country, these blackboards of silence and misspells. My country, my country, so flies over pie. Thank you, Hiram. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I just wanted to add, um, since having gone to Woodlawn, all of the art that you're seeing tonight is in reference to uh, Woodlawn. So I am the artist that uh, created the art in this, uh, in this program. And much like the art, there's poetry that keeps coming. This poem actually came after the visit. And it is entitled, Hopeful Birds. It rained here, not from the tears of gray skies, but those who shed and bled here. They watered this land, grew it up. These fields, those hands, this place, their demands. This ghostly space, 91, enslaved and erased. Ain't nobody sorrowed for the ones white cleaned from their morrows. We interpret their voices, their contributions. Each one of them, hopeful birds they are, stretched into gold strands, becoming the shine that opens up the sleeve of trees. They were pulled way beyond brilliance the kind that blinds beyond what your eyes are willing to see. Hopeful songbirds they are, whispering under the saturated leaf, celebrating the daring, the crumb, and the least. They leak into hum, race into song. A row of corn, their chain of gold. Their secrets, the bidding wars that bind, that hold like rope gathered around slavery's neck and the shackled hearts of uncompromising men sifting through bloodlines and generations without 
thought or care of forgiveness while brown backs fold and rise out of fields, out of Nellie's loom, out of spiral time, the voices and the voiceless slave will now bloom. God waits for a time such as this. Something good that's been buried will shake loose. Some utterance of a wind that knows where the wings of four hopeful birds dance into bravery, enough to say, I will speak for you. My voice is your voice. Our voices balancing on bravery's wings, flying into song. These hopeful birds will whisper into the horn-shaped widening of these hands and these doors. Mama, oh mama. Mama, is master gonna sell you from us today? Mama, I surely pray not. Cause I don't know what me and Nettie, Clisty and Jimmy would do, would do without you, mama. Without the comfort of your touch, sweetness of your voice. Oh, mama, we would be sad, sadder than sad. So sad, mama, if we didn't have you. Mama, we will, will we ever be able to live our own life together? Just you and me and my sisters and brother? How come, mama? How come we can't run about, sing and play and be free? Oh, mama, mama, mama. What would make a person feel like they're better than another? Make them feel they could treat them any old way. Huh, mama? Talk rude to them, violate their personal space disregard and disrespect. We humans, we humans too. What on earth did we do to deserve such an absurd, ridiculous way of life? Oh mama, will things ever change? Thank you, Lady Di. This uh, piece is entitled uh, The Signal. It's about the curved mirror that uh, we observed inside of the Woodlawn Plantation. It goes, yes, sir. How may I be of service? Would you like another man? I learned quickly. Never got hit once. And I've seen enough overseers erupt wrath all over Negroes who stepped out of place or simply stood too tall. Still carry their ash in my pockets to remind me. That's when I decided. Shook their fragments out of my hair, got myself straight. Now, I wear the best clothes. I eat only the best food. I've been crowned the most blessed of all the cursed in 2,000 acres, so I stand here. Ears and eyes, body with no mouth until addressed. My willingness to please and posture places me at the head of the table. I got good at counting how many times they lift their cups to drink. If they take four sips, that's when I come out. If the guest knocks their tea to the floor, I'm going to make sure my apology swoops into the room before my body ever does. This damn Earl Grey been misbehaving all week, and the teacup might have jumped. I stand in perfect stillness, racing for favor, eyes holding every curve of the butler's mirror, searching for a sign of life. I don't know what it's like to be called a man, but I know I'm closer than I was yesterday, so. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Please. 
Let me get that for you. That was wonderful. Um, thank you so much. Um, this program is not over. We still have a poem to come, but at this point, we're going to have a little Q&A. Um, yes. And um, so if anyone has a question, please, you can either post it in the Zoom chat, or if you're with us on Facebook, you can put it in the Facebook comments. And I'm going to read them out to the poets and artists. Um, there have been a couple already. Um, Martha asked this question, how did you know there were 90 enslaved Africans at Woodlawn and what else did you find out about them? Lady Di, would you like to, to answer or I'm happy to chime in whatever you'd like. Um, that's the only information that they gave in regards to the enslaved was that there was 90 of them. And I believe in one of Diane's, I know in one of Diane's poems, um, she included herself as one of the enslaved. So we said 91 um, enslaved were there on the plantation. Um, all else that you hear in our poetry is from what we saw there and what we imagined. We could actually feel the spirits of our ancestors and still hear them telling us the words that we need to bring forth, to bring recognition to the way things are, still not filled with justice, and equality. Nobody's any better than me. I'm no better than anybody. Yes, as Lady Dyes mentioned, <clears throat> through the inventory of property, the books that were kept by the owners of Woodlawn, um, historians know that there were 90 slaves, but they're only known by first names. They do not know where they lived on the property they know virtually nothing about them. And that's what's so incredibly haunting. And as also Lady Di said, so all of the work, poetry, art, and I would say even some of Cliff's music, harmonica, is all imagined of what it must have been like and our reaction to that lost community of slaves. Thanks for the question, Martha. Yes, thank you. Um, there's a related question. Were the names of the children in the poem Mama actual slaves? That comes to us from Irene. And I think that's um, for Lady Di's poem, yeah. Okay. That poem was still imagination. Most poetry is. We write from our hearts and our minds and what we feel. So I imagine the children and how they were feeling. And I just wrote those. And oh, you mentioned the names. The names, I used them 
let's see, who, who did I use? It was some family names that I used. Um, I want to see myself whose names that I used. I used my great aunt and I used her daughter. So that would be my cousin. And I used the great uncle's name. So I used names that I could, that I knew were ancestors, even though they weren't children when I knew them. Thank you for that. I, that's the first someone, time someone mentioned the children's names. I had to go back and see myself. Thank you so much. Here's a question from Elizabeth. Um, she asks, who owned Woodlawn Plantation? Do we know anything about what happened to the enslaved after the Civil War? Yeah, the, the plantation was built by the step-granddaughter of George Washington. He gave the property to Nellie Custis, his step-granddaughter, and she and her husband built the plantation mansion. And then some of their relatives, those nine whites lived in it and were served by the 90 slaves. And honestly, I'm not sure if much is known about what happened to the enslaved after the Civil War. Uh, the Civil War, of course, being in the 1860s, uh, Woodlawn was in its kind of prime, if you will, with those 90 slaves and nine whites, I think earlier in the 1800s. So perhaps some of the enslaved didn't even survive until the Civil War. Um, but so little is known about them that we, you know, we simply don't know their fate. <clears throat> um, a little earlier, um, Dave had asked, uh, rather different question. He asks, how can poetry inspire direct militant action? Patrick, any thoughts from you or Diane or Cliff? Um, I'm interested to, to know what he meant by militant action. Uh, you know, certain things that I, I can't say on Zoom, so I'll, <laughs> I'll yeah. Um, but as far as inspiring, uh, you know, action and change, I, I think that, um, that that's that's the job of a poet, and and that is our job, you know, to uh, point out the the struggles, the the you know the feelings, and 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 again, use our imagination to to kind of bring to light what has been kept in the dark and that was one of the challenges of you know being in you know taking undertaking this uh project um so i i think that you know each of us you know we're all activists in in our own uh, as far as the voices of woodlawn we're all activists in our own right so you know i um personally i'm involved with the youth so uh you know a lot of you know, what I do is just inspiring them to uh, picture themselves as agents of change. That's, 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 you know, the bulk of what I do. And, and we all have our own job and any, any revolution is, is going to happen with different people taking different roles. So that's mine. Diane, any thoughts on poetry and militant action? I agree with Patrick. I don't have much else to add because I agree with him. Uh, we write from a place of concern uh, for things that are obviously happening in the world. And we try to do it in a poetic way. Uh, I think everybody looks at life. I mean, all of us have different ways that we look at things and may be able to touch someone's uh, spirit or perhaps maybe change someone else's mind just based on the fact that we're all different and the way that we communicate. So poetry is significant in being an agent of change because it does. I mean, it, it really does empower us to, to think differently uh, because it's an, an emotional thread 
to really sow into others um, what it is that you're feeling and, and you want to say. Yes, indeed. Uh, Cliff, any thoughts? Well, I think poetry has always been a, a part of um, uh, social change um, from the start. It's, uh, it's an expression of the, uh, the needs and the desires of people. And um, there's the whole genre of poetry called Poetry of Witness, which is part of what this is. And uh, even DC had a, a program and I guess still does uh, called Split This Rock, which is poetry focused on social change. And um, it's always been a voice in, in, in movements for, um, for um, justice. So one I of the, a powerful voice. As, you, as, as all the poets have said, it, there's a long track record of poetry speaking up and back. Uh, to social injustice. Uh, one poem that comes to mind that has the patina of age, but is still so, so relevant to our times is The New Colossus, the poem titled The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus, which is on the Statue of Liberty and speaks about America's welcoming immigrants. So that was a poem that was a game changer at that time, celebrated America's embrace of immigrants. And think about it, it's a poem that is still resonant today, unfortunately still all too needed today. So yes, Dave, thanks for that question. Poets can speak up and speak back. Thanks, Shailene. Thank you. Um, there was another question um, from Linda. She says, this is awesome. And um, many of our, many other people in the audience have been saying wonderful things about tonight's event. Linda asks, are you available to do this program for other groups? Diane, would you like to comment on that? Uh, we are available <laughs> to do this program for other groups. What we're trying to do is strategically um, have this program be available throughout the year, a couple of times a year. But uh, we have at this point agreed to do most of these programs, but uh, we would certainly have you get in touch with us. And then we all as a group will be able to, you know, decide whether or not we, you know, it's feasible, at least for this year and maybe even into early next uh, next year. I'll put the um, email in the in the chat box. One one thing that might be interested in knowing about is that the staff of Woodlawn Plantation in Northern Virginia is going to be showing some of Diane Wilbon Parks amazing artwork done in response to her visit at Woodlawn and hosting all of the voices, Cliff Bernier included on harmonica on September the 16th at Woodlawn. This is presumably and hopefully going to be an in-person but socially distanced and carefully done uh, program. So September, the 16th, which is a Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. And then Diane's artwork will be up for a long period of time. And I think it's also going to be accompanied by excerpts of our poems displayed as artwork on the walls there in Woodlawn. And here comes the email um, address for being in touch with us if, you, if you'd care to be. Oh, that's some, great. Uh, um, some okay. harmonica music also. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has said that the harmonica music just makes all the difference in the world. It does. It really does. Um, Cheryl asked, where is this located? Meaning, I think, um, if you could say again where the Woodlawn um, Plantation is. 
it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, go ahead, Cliff. It's in, um, if it's in Fairfax County, um, if you know where Fort Belvoir is, it's uh, it's off of Route One, um, going south uh, toward Woodbridge, and um, there's a, a turnoff off Route One towards um, the Woodlawn Plantation. There, it's um, for those of you who are outside of the Washington D.C. area. It's about ten miles. Is that right? About ten miles south of Washington D.C. on one of the as. Cliff was saying, I'm just off of one of the main corridors heading South Route 1. And mm -hmm. it's within a view of Mount Vernon, George Washington's home. You can see that from Woodlawn. Um, okay, I, yeah, I just had a question that's more related to craft. Um, I'm curious, since all of your pieces of work seem to weave together so beautifully, um, I'm curious about the experience of putting this program together, whether you feel that you were collaborating um, or, I mean, did you feel that you were nurturing one another as artists along the way, or was it more of an indiv five individual journeys that intersected? I'm not sure if that question makes sense, but I'm always interested in collaboration. Good question, Patrick. Would you, would you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. We, uh, I, I dare say that all of us, even though we are individual artists, we are all um, well versed in collaborations, um, and 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 working as a duo or or just basically um, reconciling your work with someone else's. Uh, so that that's uh, it was very easy for us to come together and. Uh, you know, and, and obviously, uh, or I don't know if anybody knows this, but uh, it was Hiram's idea. He kind of put the call out to uh, everybody here to uh, join him at Woodlawn and at, for a, um, for a day long residency. And, and just the, that experience was so uh, profound and, and, and touching, you know, it, it affected us you know, to this day. And, and uh, I think we, we knew that we were on something, you know, we were onto something. And, and once we heard each other's work, uh, it, it was like, you know, you, you, some, sometimes you were finishing my thoughts and, and sometimes you were inspiring new thoughts, you know? So it, it was just such a, and it's, it's still happening. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a dance, but we're, we're enjoying it. So. Diane? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think something happened that day. Um, it was very unique in the way that we came together, but something happened to all of us that day uh, where we were so moved. Uh, this, we didn't know what to expect. As a matter of fact, Lady Di has said, and I don't want to take her thunder, uh, she will tell you this, you know, coming in there, there was some hesitancy. It was heavy. Uh, it wasn't like we were skipping into Woodlawn. There was some resistance. And to once you're there, you could feel it was as if the ancestors had been waiting for us to give voice. And uh, so, so I think what really knits all of us together is the experience of that day in, those, in that room on the tour just being in the space together. Lady Di? Well, I, I'm just thinking um, as Diane was talking, we, unity strengthens and us uniting has made us stronger and able to deal with the circumstances of just going to a plantation. I'd never been to a plantation before. I never was asked how I felt about the enslaved. I prayed and my prayers, God answered and took me and aided me to go on. Today is the least, even though I'm still feeling deep emotions, Today's the least emotional that I've been in the past two years. 
my friends here, the poets, and all of you that are listening to us and seeing that there is a reason for what we are doing. Unity is strengthening for our souls. And I believe everyone here can write something in regards to a feeling of something that we've said, something that you've heard in regards to the enslaved. Unity prevails. Um, hard to follow <laughs> any of these other poets. Um, the only other thing I would add is that in fact, we, we, do know, we have known each other um, for some time. And when I reached out to Patrick and Diane and Lady Di, and then I believe it was Lady Di who invited Cliff in with his harmonica to join us as well. Um, I, I wondered if they would be brave enough, brave enough to come to Woodlawn because as they've said, it was, it was a, a difficult um, experience for them. Difficult for me as well, but especially for them. And so um, we're still uh, mining those emotions, those thoughts, those concerns, those questions. Um, and, you know, I, I, I will frequently say that uh, this is not just about what we feel about the historical uh, issue of slavery. This is about what we feel today about what's happening today in our very lives today that were ground that is grounded largely in that history of slavery so there are echoes there are reverberations there are implications from that history um, that affect us literally every day we live today so Thanks for that great question, Shailene. Yes. Can I, can I jump in real quick? And I want to I want to say that uh, you know this was an emotional journey, obviously, but uh, but there was also some research involved that was presented to us. And I know somebody asked about like you know uh, you know how we knew and and you know the 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 oh. data. And so I just wanted to say because I, I found the the paperwork here. Uh, you know we uh, Woodlawn uh, they graciously. Uh, uh, allowed us access to a lot of their records. And it was a uh, Dr. Michelle Sims Burton. Um, and uh, the, there's some uh, archives from the Fairfax County Historic Records, um, the Fred W. Smith National Library for the study of George Washington. They had, and they gave, you know, they made that stuff available to us. Um, I have in front of me right now, a list of the 90 names um, of the enslaved, but there's only first names, that's it. Um, and this was most likely from a property inventory. So that's, and that's all it was. So we don't know who they are. Uh, you know, it says Letty Ellen and child. So the child doesn't even have a name, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, and that is where uh, we as artists, you know, stepped in. There's a question from Cheryl. Do you know of other plantations that are doing similar work? Um, <clears throat> Lady Di or anyone else? Like to I don't in? know. I don't know of any other um, program movement such as Voices of Woodlawn. And we are thankful that more than a year it took to get the real attention of the plantation to collaborate with Voices of Woodlawn to bring our poetry and our messages in regards to the enslaved, to bring it as part of the museum and the history of Woodlawn itself. So I don't know of what any other plantations. Uh, we hope that with the help of Woodlawn, 
because we have a friendly collaboration with them now that they may have another plantation that we can also visit and take others with us and continue to put out these enlightening messages poetically. And I, and I just want to say too, sure. uh, real quickly, we hope that this program unites others and open their minds, eyes, everything to the possibility of unification just through an experience. And, you know, when I think about Cliff playing alongside of us, the art, the poetry, and to hear Cliff's harmonica, it speaks because most, a lot of the slaves in the field, that's what they did. They had music and it was bluesy and it was depressing, but it was also uplifting. It gave them purpose. And uh, so I hope that this program just uh, doesn't go away in folks' minds. I hope it really, really settles in and, you know, have people think about this uh, longer than this, this moment. I should say there there is a plantation in Louisiana that focuses on the history of slavery at the plantation. Um, it's called the Whitney Plantation, and uh, it was a sugarcane plantation. And um, the the tours that you take are focused on the lives of the slaves who lived there. Um, I don't not aware of any programs like we're doing, <laughs> um, and we hope to hope to bring that to other plantations. Um, but um, if you're in, if you're near New Orleans, that's that's a uh, powerful place to go visit. I think one of the key points here is that there were lots of plantations. Woodlawn is not unique at all in in this story of large number of an enslaved population and community serving a a very limited number of white owners. Um, some of the plantations, as, as Cliff mentioned, uh, some of the plantations over the recent years have begun to um, examine that history, even conduct archeological digs to find where the enslaved community on the plantation lived and you know how they lived. Monticello comes to mind, but also to some extent Mount Vernon, uh, Montpelier, several of the large plantations owned by former presidents uh, have, have done that. But as also has been said, Cliff mentioned, as far as we know, no other program of poetry, artwork, and music has been brought to that history um, to try to evoke some of what it must have been like um, and some of the anguish, some of the questions. So uh, I think I think our program is is both well timed and kind of unique. Yeah. Um, certainly, certainly is. Um, I think this may be our last question. Let's see, um, Irene is asking if it's possible for this program to be shown as part of the tour at Woodlawn. Diane, would you like to comment or Patrick? Well, I'll just be very brief. Um, uh, I, I believe they're working on that. Uh, they're, they're certainly making concerted effort as Hiram said, with the partnering, if you will, uh, so there's there's a lot of conversation around uh, making sure that it's integrated. This program and parts of it, uh, all of us are represented uh, at Woodlaw. Yes, I, I, as Diane said, that the staff at Woodlawn are very, very interested in trying to figure out a respectful way of including integrating this kind of history into their history tour at Woodlawn. And it remains to be seen kind of how that all is going to look and the feel of it, but we're working with them to try to, 
to try to offer up some suggestions. So stay tuned. <laughs> well, Shailene, we really want to thank you as we kind of begin to wind down. Thank you and the the guests on Facebook and the guests in the Zoom room uh, for being here this evening and uh, prevailing through, at least on the East Coast, what are some kind of bad storms. So really appreciate everyone being here. We hope that you have found the program meaningful, moving, um, and that you'll be in touch with us by that email that I believe Shailene shared and that I tried to share. Um, but yeah, uh, I know we have a, a wonderful closing poem coming up, but let's turn it back to Shailene for any final thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, and before we hear that closing poem, I do also want to say thank you on behalf of the Pratt to everyone who contributed tonight. I want to thank Sylvia, Diane, Lady Di, Beverly, Patrick Washington, Diane Wilburn Parks, Hiram LaRue, and Cliff Bernier. And I want to thank the Ivy Bookshop and the Hearing and Speech Agency for providing accessibility. And I want to thank everyone who attended and ask if you can take a moment to fill out the survey that was posted. And now to end this very special program, we return to the powerful Voices of Woodlawn as Lady Di reads her poem, How Would You Feel? Here's Lady Di. How would you feel? A feeling comes over me uncontrollably. I wonder how one race could feel superior to another. A horrible feeling. Wondering, how would you feel if you or your loved ones were whipped and hung? How would you feel if your babies were sold to someone else taken from you in the middle of night and you didn't know who or where. Lord have mercy never to see your child again. Tell me, how would you feel if you had to stand by in silence while your wife was violated, raped and abused? How would you feel if you could never pick up enough bales of cotton in scorching hot sun? How would you feel if you could never pick up a book? We're not allowed to learn to read or allowed to learn anything. Tell me, think about it. How would you feel? How would you feel if you had to walk around and rags all day, day in, day out, no shoes on feet, no food to eat. I wanna know, tell me, how would you feel? How would you feel if you had to enter through back door or not at all? Eat in kitchen or not at all? My heart and soul says, let it be told, it would not feel good to you. Thank you. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.